morning, everybody. Good morning. We're glad you're joining us. Hope you've had a good week. If you've had a good week, a so-so week, an up-and-down week, the good news is that you're here to worship the Lord. And um, He shifts and changes the atmospheres of our hearts. So um, we're going to welcome the presence of the Lord with us this morning. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here with us. It's good to see you all again this morning. So... Um, but when we were praying this morning, we had a um, just this sense of where the impossible things with man and the impossible circumstances that we find ourselves in, that he is the way maker and he is the God of the possible. So this morning, that is who we are worshiping. That is who we are turning our affection towards. We are worshiping our King who has defeated our enemy, and we get to walk in a place of freedom and victory because of what he's done on our behalf. And so this morning, if you're in the middle of your circumstance, what we do know is that if you haven't seen the victory come to pass yet, that he is walking with you. And so this morning, if you're able to, would you stand? We're going to worship together. We're going to welcome the presence of Holy Spirit and welcome him to just move among us this morning. One of the things that we love and we have a high value for here in, um, at DCF is that we know that the Lord speaks to his bride. He speaks to the body. And if you have a sense of something that you feel like maybe the Lord is wanting to share with the body this morning, we have elder oversight up at the front. It'll be David and I this morning. And we would love to hear what you're sensing from the Lord because what we know is Jesus loves to love on his bride and to encourage her and to build her up and to exhort her. And so that happens sometimes through scriptures. It will happen sometimes through a picture maybe that you will get. The Lord wants to share his heart with us this morning. So um, as we worship this morning, just be ready to hear what is the Lord saying? What's he doing? What's he want to accomplish this morning among us? So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our midst this morning. I love, Holy Spirit, that you are a part of the Godhead. You're not less than the Father. You're not less than Jesus. You are a part of the Trinity. And this morning, we welcome you to come and move among us. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my spirit to comfort to God, to counsel, to move among us, Lord. And we are here to listen and to have our hearts and our ears and our eyes wide open and alert to you this morning. So we worship you and we thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
that your face has smiled upon us, Lord, in Jesus. Lord, that you have always been for us and you always will be for us, Lord. Thank you that your blessing rests upon us, Lord. We're so grateful and so thankful that you are faithful to us. Lord, in every season, Lord, you are faithful to us. Whether it be in mountaintop experiences, Lord, or it be in the valley, Lord, you are faithful to us, Lord. We worship you and we honor you, King Jesus. Thank you for your presence among us, Lord. Thank you that you love us deeply. You love us with an immeasurable, unchanging, limitless love, Lord. And we worship you this morning. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And we're glad you're joining us this morning, that you're worshiping with us. Um, just want to say, if you're new with us, you can connect with us online at dothancf.com. Do a connection card. We'd love to get to connect with you, hear a little bit about the stories, um, how you've showed up here, how you got here. If you're watching us online, we'd love to be able to connect with you if you're interested in um, a little bit about our story and who we are. And um, this morning, we have a testimony from Pat and Lawrence. So they're going to come and share that with us this morning. 
We love, we love Pat and Lawrence in this house, y'all. They are, um, if I could use one word to describe them, I would say that they are unwavering. This is a family that is in their 80s, which you can tell that. Their moms and dads, their grandparents, great-grandparents. But to have lived, yeah, but, um, but to have lived an unwavering faith in the hard times and in the good times and the celebrations and in the joys and in the griefs, that these are the kind of people I want to look up to because they have modeled, follow me as I follow Christ. They've seen miracles in their own lives. They've seen the sustaining goodness and power of God. And um, when you talk to them, it doesn't matter what's happening. Their trust is in the Lord. And they're going to share a little bit about that this morning. I'm just a support person today. About uh, last Tuesday was a week ago, our daughter, our youngest daughter, was in the salon getting her hair done. Suddenly, she just flopped over. They called the ambulance, got her to the emergency room. They discovered that she had two blood clots on the left side of her brain. They immediately went to the emergency room. They got that done, taking care of the blood clots. She was paralyzed on the left side totally. Her arms, hands, legs, mouth, everything. Eye, all. She couldn't move on the left side. They worked on her. They did the best they could to the point that they said, as good a physical condition she's in, she's a good candidate for Brooks Rehabilitation Center in Jacksonville, Florida. All the arrangements made, they carried her down to Jacksonville. And uh, our son-in-law went with them, carried and went with her down there. And we went down there, Pat and I went down there this past week and stayed this week with, to give him a chance to come and do some things to wrap up some loose ends at his, uh, his job. He'd, uh, while we were down there, she was one of the, the therapists, two of them had her in the hallway. There's a wood rail that they train them by. They had her there trying to walk, holding that rail. She started trying to walk. She was facing the rail. Thank God she wasn't facing us. She couldn't do it. It was pitiful. I started tearing up, said, Jesus, help her. Jesus, help her. I knew what he was doing to her. So they finally take her on back. Two days later, after all the therapists, speech therapists and everything, her speech was coming back good. They called us suddenly to come down there. One of the therapists come to the room where it was at, said she wants y'all to come immediately. We went down to the, where the therapist was at. When we got there, she was sitting in her chair, a wheelchair. Two therapists had was standing on each side of her. They had a safety belt around her. We got there and one therapist said, okay, show them. She stood up. She started walking. 
and she had some stuff. They had some, not braces. They had something. We don't know what it was, but God does. Had her on, had her on that leg. God had her. And she started walking. She walked. They big, had a big uh, nursing station around. She walked completely around that thing twice. So from that time on, we knew she was in God's hands. We had put her there and said, God, there's nothing we can do. It's all up to you. And so therefore, when we left yesterday, coming home, Friday rather, when we got home, we got a call from our son-in-law, said she, she has told them therapist, and she, she's a worker too, told him therapist said y'all not doing enough I'm ready to walk I'm ready to do so we watched her with some of the stuff that they had is fascinating they had taped her arm hand to one cranks and the other hand other arm they had this arm going where she could walk and whatever this arm was doing the left hand had to follow they got some amazing equipment we just thank God for everything and we know that he, she's going to come home they done told us that we're going to schedule you for discharge the 15th or before. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hey, we just appreciate all the prayers because you all had the Dothan area covered. The church we left in, up in Henry County had Henry County covered prayers. We appreciate it. Thank you all. It did it to us, and he'll do it for you. Yeah. Amen. I love Pat and Lawrence. They um, often say that it takes uh, two sets of pastors to take care of them. So um, that's a Mickey and Becky. So we love them. So let's just pray for Sherry, y'all. If you will, just raise your hands. Um, Father, we just thank you so much for um, this testimony of Sherry. God, of what you've done. Lord, how she is restoring. So God, we just pray complete healing over her right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who heals you are the God who restores. And God, we thank you for what you've already done and what you're going to continue to do, Lord. We thank you and we bless her life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, y'all. Thank you so much, y'all. That's a great testimony. If you need healing in your body um, after service, we'd love to pray for you and just anoint you with oil. I love that the Bible says, call for the elders of the church if you're sick and have them pray for you and the prayer of faith will raise you up. And so, we um, believe in healing in this house, and we believe that God still does healings now. It's, it's a part of who he is. He is healer. So um, some summer connections that are going on, we just want to make you all aware of those. Um, they have officially launched um, uh, today. We are going to be at the Mitchell's house. It's a pool party. Grab a lunch. Come. We will finish up at 3. If you're changing, please plan to change into your swim gear here. Rather than at their house, it'll save um, a lot of time and going in and out, but it, there's a lot more space here, so just please do that. Um, if you didn't have a lunch with you, stop by and grab something and just come hang out and enjoy connecting. That's what the Summer Connections are for. They are about friendship, relationship, family hanging out, being together, conversation, and just getting to know each other more than just sitting in a service. So you kind of get to kind of get the delve in of, like, who is everyone? So if you're new, come find out a little bit about us. Thank you so much. Um, also, for Waterworld, there's some things with families and little kids. Waterworld will be coming up. Blue Springs kayaking kind of towards the end of the month. All of the details of summer connections are on DothanCF.com, so check those out for all the details for what you want to get involved with and throw it on your calendar so it's planned and ready to go. 
Um, thank you so much for giving in this house. The generosity is really overwhelming um, often for us to just see how we love one another deeply, how we care for one another, and help carry one another's burdens. So that's just something that's who we are, and we're very thankful for that. We're going to dismiss our youth and our kids to their classes this morning, and they're going to be back with a message. All right. Good morning, everybody. We have been doing a series, uh, started a couple weeks ago, called Empowered Life in the Spirit. So if you're just joining us today, uh, you can go back online at Dothan CF, and um, we always put our, our previous messages up there. And uh, just as a reminder, we also put the PDF. So whatever you see up on the screen, scripture references, major main points, that kind of stuff, that's in a PDF that you can download and delve a little bit deeper, as Karen said. Uh, go into the, the message, into the um, scriptures, and study for yourself. Uh, but we started out with a scripture, John 16, 7, that was very controversial. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Um, think about that for a second, that Jesus, his time in his ministry on earth was so powerful, and the disciples got to spend you know, every waking minute with him. They saw him do signs and wonders, including raising the dead, cast out demons, everywhere he turned, the authority of Jesus was paramount. He, he had authority over demons. He had authority over sickness. And because of that, he said, I have authority over sin. And as, as we know, we, they watched him go to the cross. You know, maybe there was confusion afterwards. You know, what, what, what did we see? Is it all over? What's happening? And then, of course, on the third day, he's resurrected. He comes in his glorified body. And then they watch him. He, he makes a promise. And we're going to get to that in a second. But then we, they watch him be taken up into the clouds. And, and, and the angel said, the same way he went up, he's going to come back again. And so now, I mean, just imagine that moment. Now, he just supernaturally floats away in front of them, <laughs> right? And if, you, and if you've been with him for three years, can you imagine maybe like, oh my goodness, now he's, now what? I mean, did he leave us by ourselves? But then they start thinking, but the promise was, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll always be with you. His, you know, Matthew 28, he gives them the commission. He says, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of this age. So, so there's that sense of, okay, what's next? But Jesus had made a promise. He said, whatever you do, don't leave Jerusalem until something happens. Right, And so we're going to get into that in just a, just a second. So one of the things I've discovered over many years of ministry is that uh, a lot of people don't value the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, they think of the Trinity, Trinity as the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. <laughs> I don't know if that's been you or not. But, but again, it goes back to um, we, we understand, from, for the most part, the nature of the ministry of the Father. We see that, especially through the Old Testament. We, we kind of get that because there's a natural human Father. We get the ministry of Jesus because we see it well-documented in the Gospels. We see him, you know, the, the acts that he performed, the things that he did, the things that he said. We see that. But so often, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is confusing. And what I've discovered is, for the most part, at least in the rank and file of the modern church, it's not that people are against the Holy Spirit. It's just, if, if I'm honest, mostly they're just ignorant of the Holy Spirit. And thank God ignorance can be fixed, right? Not a whole lot of help for stupid sometimes, but, <laughs> but ignorance can be fixed. <laughs> so again, it's not that people are against the Holy Spirit. They just often don't, don't know who He is, how He works, how He works in them, that kind of thing. So we're going to talk a lot about that through this series. So I have a friend who's an artist. She lives in Nashville now, um, Courtney Garrett, Courtney and Bo Garrett, friends of ours. We knew them a long time ago in Destin, 20-something years ago, um, and she's a phenomenal artist. She's very successful. She was in Atlanta for many years, and she was a very successful artist there. Um, she has some of her artwork 
uh, is in some of the downtown buildings in Atlanta and Nashville. I mean, some, you know, some major, major art that she's done. And so from time to time, we would go to a gallery and we'd look at her, her art. You know, she would be sometimes be the only artist. Sometimes she would be the featured artist and there would be others. And so we had a friend, uh, Tyler, most of you guys know Tyler. He comes here and ministers. And uh, he attended one of her galleries one time. And I remember him sharing this. He said, uh, you know, I, I came from a, <laughs> from a, a small town, he goes, and so getting into the arts, artsy district, he said, was kind of new to me. So he said, I was open to it, but didn't know what to expect. So he said, I go in. Her artwork is very, um, it's, it's, it makes sense. Let me put it that way. Some people's artwork, not so much. So anyway, he's in this gallery, and he wanders away from her artwork, and he goes into w- one place, and he sees, he sees this picture uh, this piece of art, and so I'm going to put this up on the screen, and he sees this, and so uh, in case that's not real clear, that's a piece of paper with some scribbled marks on it, right? <laughs> now, that's posted as art, right? It wasn't like, hey, my kindergartner did this, and I'm proud of him, you know, it wasn't that. No, 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 this was art. What was really amazing was the next thing that you see underneath it was this, <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't kidding, right? What, what was really surprising was the next thing that you saw underneath it was this. Somebody <laughs> bought that piece of scribbled paper for $1,200 and probably took it to their house and put it up or in their business and put it up. And then everybody from their own was walking by going, oh, you're your child is a tremendous artist. He's like, oh, that's not from a child. And then he has to explain it. Can you imagine? And everybody who sees that is going, you sucker. <laughs> you so got suckered, right? So here's a contrast between that. Because here's the challenge is, the last thing we want to do when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit is to be promised something that is really of no value, Right? Like all the talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all the talk about who he is and what he does, we don't want to get suckered into giving our lives away for something that has no value, right? So contrast that with, um, for our 25th anniversary, Karen and I went to the Napa Valley, went to California, uh, San Francisco, but primarily the Napa Valley, um, well, actually all over the place, but we spent a lot of time there. One of the things we wanted to do was eat a really, really, really nice meal. And by nice, I mean expensive. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but that's what it was, right? So, so we're preparing. So we go to this place. It's called Bottega's. It's in the Napa Valley. It's a five-star Italian restaurant. And I go in, and, and again, I grew up poor, like, like really poor, like, like really poor. You've heard me tell some of the stories. And so I'm prepared, I think, for how much it's going to cost. I wasn't. But I thought it was, right? Because I'd, I'd done some research, but I was not prepared. So I, I order, and this is what I ordered. I ordered a costelette de Monzo, and it's smoked and braised short rib in espresso agro dolce, creamy ancient grain polenta with Calabrian pepperonata. And if you have to ask, you cannot afford it. And I could not afford it, but I, <laughs> I ordered it anyway. And what I found was, because I grew up poor, and when you grow up poor, when you go buy groceries, you need to get the best bang for your buck, right? So we had a lot of pasta, a lot of hamburger helpers, matter of fact, because my mom was a terrible cook. So, so she just, I'm just being honest. So I, <laughs> she, she would make pasta, and she would put the pasta and leave it in the water. Like, I don't know if you know, but if you're Italian, that's like, you know, that's the horror. So, 
So we'd eat a lot of pasta because you could get a lot of pasta for a, for a, I mean, for a little bit of money. And so I ordered this, and when they bring it out there, I'm like, um, where's the rest of it? You know, that's kind of, I didn't say that out loud because I didn't want to embarrass my wife. But I'm like, where's the rest of the food? And so it comes out in courses. I mean, again, some of you guys have been there, so you understand this. But um, it came out in courses. So, you know, it's appetizer, and, you know, and then you have something to cleanse the palate. I'm like, what's a palate, and why does it need to be cleansed? I don't understand what you guys are <laughs> So I, should, I, I kept all this as an internal dialogue. You just need to understand. On the outside, I looked very, you know, I looked like I knew what I was doing. So we get through the whole thing. And, and one of the things that surprised me was um, what they lacked in quantity <laughs> in the serving sizes of each thing was made up for in the absolute amazing flavor combinations that were put together. So it would be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a sauce, you know, spot. It was, it was, I can't even begin to tell you, it was unbelievable. And by the time I was done, I wasn't hungry. I was plenty full. So there was, there was enough, right? There was enough food. But I was blown away at how amazing this food was. And I, and I remember thinking, we're going to do this again. And sure enough, we went to lunch the next day at another restaurant somewhere else and spent almost the same amount of money for lunch that we did for the dinner that, that night we were out. And it was unbelievable. And so here's the thing. I had grown up never knowing what a chef-prepared meal could taste like. So taste and see that the Lord is good, right? I had never tasted and never seen what a really good meal could be like. And I think this is the contrast. that We don't want to get suckered into something and, and purchase something, give our life away for something that has no value. But what we do want to do is we want to discover, maybe you've never had encounters with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you never had experience. Maybe you grew up in a, in a, in a church that left the pasta in the water. I'm trying, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know how you grew up. Maybe it was just, we just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, right? Not we were against him. We just didn't know anything about him. So we just didn't mention him. And we just stuck to the Father and Jesus and treated, you know, treated the Spirit of God like he's the disembodied spirit of Jesus, right? which is the way a lot of people think, or worse, he's the force. You know, it's how God moves, and we don't, it's, it's, it's a mystery, and we don't understand it, and nobody's told us, and so we don't do anything about it. But what if, what if there's a value there that if you ever actually experience this, you'd be like, I'm never going back to eating pasta water, <laughs> right? Or buying some, you know, scribbled page and putting it up as artwork. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get involved in the foolishness. But I am going to lean into and say, is there a value here that maybe because of my ignorance I didn't know about? So that's what the Holy Spirit can be like to modern believers, that, that we just don't know what he's capable of, how he works. In so many ways, we, you know, Karen and I, our experience in the early days was seeing the power of God move in amazing ways. And there wasn't, I mean, there was a little bit of immaturity here and there, but because the, the leaders were strong, um, for the most part, it was a mature experience. It was a mature response to the Holy Spirit, to the move of God in our midst. And so it was amazing to us. So I wanna, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about how we can normalize and personalize your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus spoke all the time about how he ministered in the Spirit, how he operated, and how he longed for us to operate. So there's several scriptures, one in particular that's amazing, John 3:34, that says about Jesus and his ministry. It says, For the one whom God has spent, or sorry, the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. Here's why: for God gives the Spirit to him without limit. So Jesus was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that's strange, right? We talked about this last week, how the Holy Spirit 
shows up in, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis. So you see the Holy Spirit's his ministry goes throughout the entire, all, you know, all of the Old Testament, in the New Testament, into the, into the future. Throughout all ages, the Holy Spirit is ministering. But primarily his ministry now came after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, and then was taken back in to heaven, the Bible says. His physical body, his glorified body, taken back up. And the Bible says, and then there was a promise that was being sent. And he told everybody, wait on the promise. The promise is, is coming. Something's going to be happening that's so amazing that I have to go away so that it can happen. So through constant and ever-increasing reliance, Jesus moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he grew in faith. He grew in the Spirit, just like all of us do. He grew. There's a, um, an American New Testament scholar named Gerald F. Hawthorne. He wrote this about Jesus and his ministry and how it works through the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. I'm going to put it up here. It's lengthy, but it's worth reading. It says, not only is Jesus the Savior because of who he was and because of his own complete obedience to the Father's will, but he is the supreme example for his disciples of what is possible in a human life because of his own total dependence upon the Spirit of God. Isn't that beautiful? This is Jesus giving us an example. It goes on, it says, Jesus is living proof of how those who, who are his followers may exceed the limitations of their humanness. Isn't that powerful? What a turn of a phrase. In order that they, like Jesus, might carry to completion against all odds their God-given mission in life, by the Holy Spirit. We have been called on mission. We're going to get to that in just a second. And we've been given power for the mission. We're going to, again, dig into that. But he goes on, it says, Jesus demonstrated clearly that God's intended way for human beings to live, the ideal way to live, the supremely successful way to live, is in conjunction with God, in harmony with God, in touch with the power of God, and not apart from God, not independent of God, not without God. The Spirit was the presence and power of God in Jesus, and fully so. So we talked last week again about how Jesus came. He did not do the signs and the wonders and the miracles in his own strength and power. And the reason he didn't do it as, as a God. He didn't do it as the Son of God on earth, operating as the Son of God on earth. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why, do we, why do we, does the Bible talk about that? And the answer is, it was an example and a model of how you and I are supposed to do it too. If Jesus operated in the signs and wonders and miracles, and people think this all the time, that he did that because of his power as the Son of God, then that gives us an out as believers to never walk in the signs and the wonders and the power of God because Jesus cheated. Right? He cheated because he did what he did through himself in his Godhood what we cannot do because we're not God. But if he moved through the power of the Holy Spirit in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit just like he was challenging you and I to do, then it is an indictment to us as the church if we refuse to walk in power. Right? to walk in harmony, in connection with the Holy Spirit. And that's why we talked about having a strong spirit is the part of us, our spirit is the part of us that connects to God. And it's by revelation, not reason, we're gonna get into that. 
So is that true of you? Is it normal to hear God? Is it normal to pray for people and see sick people get better? Is it, is it normal for you to have words of knowledge in Scripture for God to warn you ahead of times of things that are happening? Is it normal for God to speak to you about a person in a coffee house or, or a person in your office? Is it normal for God to do that? Is it normal for God to move through your life in power? How often does that happen to you or has that ever happened to you? And my challenge to you this morning is God's intention is not only that it would happen, that it would be normal as a Christian to walk this way. So what does that look like? Um, there's a scripture in John talking about the promise is coming, right? Jesus, Jesus said, I have to go away so that something can happen, so that the Spirit of God can come, so that the helper, the comforter can come and he can be with you, right? So uh, this is John 38, and this is power for mission. See, God, God didn't just give us power for the sake of power. He gave us power to be on a mission. He gave power to the Son of God, and we're going to get into why he gave the power to the Son of God, and the same reason he gives the power to us. So Jesus promised that this power would come to us as disciples. John seven thirty eight. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Think about that. Rivers of living water, plural, rivers of living water would flow from their innermost being, and by this, he meant the Spirit. In case you're wondering <laughs> what he was talking about, he's talking about the Spirit of God flowing through us and out of us, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. They had not received this gift yet. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But didn't the Spirit move in other ways? Didn't the Spirit come on the, the, the prophets and come on kings? And the answer is he did. And we talked about this last week again, that he came as a visitation not as a habitation. But when Jesus came, died on the cross, when we are born again, the Bible says we are baptized into one spirit. In other words, we become, our spirit comes alive and then our spirit is connected to the spirit of God in the same way that Jesus' spirit was connected to the spirit of God. And by that, what occurs, the Bible says, is now what's supposed to happen is there's supposed to be this active rivers, plural, of living water that comes out of you. Because Jesus said, I am the living water, right? I am the water. I am. If you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. All these references Jesus is going after. He's saying, somewhere from inside of you, we know now, looking at the graphic we did last week, the body, the soul, and the spirit. He wasn't talking about from our body, from our physical belly, that it would come, although we'd feel like that. So our physical manifestation of it would feel like it's somewhere in our inner being, right? And it wasn't for our soul. It wasn't our mind, our will, or our emotions that would, that would bring that up. It was something that would happen from our spirit, from our innermost being that's connected to the spirit of God. These things would flow. John uh, 14, 16. He says, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He said, this is the promise of the Father, right? The promise of the Father is I'm not just sending my son, but I'm sending my spirit as well. Luke 24, 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Until you have put on power like clothing. Till you wear power around with you as if it's a cloak upon you, right? Think about that. And he said, whatever you do, before you go off and do this mission that I've called you to, that I've discipled you into for three years, don't leave until you have power. Why? As we read before, because it's not just about words, <laughs> right? And, and we, we, we saw that last week when we talked about that. He said, um, 
Acts 1-4, and being assembled together with them, this is Jesus again, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So two times he's told them, don't leave the city, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, Jesus previously had talked about this, and so there was an expectation. For John truly baptized with water. So he paints a picture. He says, John put people underneath the water, right? He submerged them under the water until they were literally, the spirit of, I mean, the, the, the water was all around them. There was no part of them that is not being touched by the water. He said, um, uh, let me get back to it. Here we go. Um, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so we know the story that's coming in Acts chapter 2. The same symbolism of the baptism in water that occurred, where they were, they were immersed, they were surrounded, they were enveloped by the water. This same thing is going to happen to them through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to, he, they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. As, think of the Holy Spirit being here, and you're pressed underneath, right? And it's challenging to our minds which is why we can't rely on our minds alone to get this, right? Because the Spirit of God is inside of us, but we're also going to be baptized into Him, right? In Him we live and breathe and have our, moving, have our being, but he is, he is in us and He is on us. He's upon us. He's all around us. We get it. Did I say moving? I think I did. So Acts 1.8. So here it is. But you shall receive power. He's like, wait, don't go. Don't go on the mission until you have power. But you shall receive power when, right? When you study the Bible long enough, when you spent three years with Jesus, that's when you'll have power. Now, when you know everything about the, the old covenant and the law and the new covenant, when you, that's, that's when you'll have power. Nope. You'll have power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. He's saying the power to be, not to tell the story. You can tell the story, but that is not what the scripture says. We've heard this because we have moved into a gospel without power. We've translated this scripture to say, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and all and the uttermost parts of the world. That is not what it said. It said, you shall become a witness. The power of God will be in you. And because the power of God is there, you now are not just telling the story, you are demonstrating the story. We're going to get to that, right? So then Acts declared that the power has come. Jesus promised the power was coming through the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 2, we know the story. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So, so the, the Spirit of God comes in a way that the Bible says it's like a rushing, it's like a mighty rushing wind. And the Spirit of God sat on top of them like tongues, right? And like tongues of fire. So all this symbolism is going on. And then the Bible says they're speaking in languages they never knew. So somehow God is literally supernaturally not just using words, but he's demonstrating his power in the fact that they are using words in a language they have never learned. So think about that for a second. I hear you speaking in a language that is something you've never learned, and you're declaring the works and the glory of God, telling the gospel story in languages you've never learned. So it's not just the story. The story is amazing, and it's wonderful. And the story, for a lot of people, that's what it, it captures their attention. But the demonstration of power along with the story is the gospel. It's not just in words, and we're going to see that. 
Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 speaks to that. He says, because our gospel, this is Paul saying, after he's moved into taking the gospel to the Gentiles, he said, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, right? He's, he's, he's going back to the day of Pentecost going, it wasn't just Peter standing up and telling the story. It came with a demonstration of power and the Spirit of God. He says, it's not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. He's saying it wasn't just that we lived among you and we had good character. That's how we almost always translate these scriptures is that when he lived among them, he, did, you know, he didn't ask for their money. He worked. He demonstrated his character and he pointed to the nature and the character of God. And that's true. But he also laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He also prayed for people who were dead and they came alive again. He was also delivered out of persecution by the hand of God. He was also um, somehow had peace in the midst of the fact that he was going to be beheaded. And he's like, Agabus comes as a prophet and tells him, if you go to Jerusalem, he, he takes his belt and he, off of Paul and he wraps his hand. So this is another, it's a, it's a revelation by the Spirit of God to Paul. If you go do this, this is what's going to happen. And so many people read that and go, Paul didn't heed the warning. But Paul did. He heard exactly what Agabus said. And then he said, I'm not only ready to have my hands bound, I'm ready to lay my life down for this gospel, right? There was something more powerful and more valuable than, than his life alone. And so the prophet comes and says, if you go down this road, this is, what is what's prepared for you. So I promise you, when Paul got to Jerusalem and he was arrested and his hands were bound, he wasn't surprised. Why? He was right smack in the middle of the will of God right? And he had perfect peace. And when they put him in prison, he literally led the guards to Jesus, <laughs> right? How do you stop someone like that? And the answer is you can't. You can't take his life. He gives it away in the same way that Jesus does. He's on mission for God. So it was power for the mission, and now power for the mission. And I made it in big letters so you'd understand the difference. <laughs> and hopefully it'll come out. So the Great Commission, what does that look like? Here's something we say, you hear say this at DCF all the time. The life of a disciple consists of two questions. From the time before you give your life to Jesus to the time, you know, right before you're taken up in, in heaven, there are two questions you're always asking and answering as a disciple. And those two questions are simply, what is the Lord saying and what am I doing about it? So great question for you right now. Just pause for a second and ask, and, and just answer this question. What is the Lord saying to you? What's he talking to you about? Is he talking to you about your jobs? Is he talking to you about your family? Is he talking to you about society? Is he talking about, to you about some challenges in your own heart, and your own life? Is he talking to you about fear? What, what, is the, what is the Lord of heaven saying to you right now? Because he speaks by his spirit to your spirit. But if your spirit is weak, you can't hear him. Why? Because what becomes now the voice inside your head is the loudest voice. Who is the loudest voice inside of your head? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it your spirit is connected to the Spirit of God and it's a strong spirit so it hears the word and the truth of God and it settles in it and it believes it by faith and then moves into the circumstance world of, of, of mind, will, and emotion, reason and understanding. It's like, but, but how is that gonna happen? Like, that's a great question, but it's submitted to God said it would. <laughs> right? Remember Abraham, gets, he gets in trouble. Why? Because he's asked a silly question. God's like, hey, I know you're really, really old and everything's all dried up and there's no possible way. However, 
I'm going to give you babies, like, like lots and lots and lots, well, not, you know, just eventually, right? Like the sand on, on the seashore, the stars in the skies. How can that be, Lord? What a dumb question to ask God, right? I mean, think about that. Think about, and you do it all the time, and so do I. Lord, I, I sense you're saying, but how, what, why, how much do you need to know to be a disciple? What's the Lord saying, <laughs> and what's your part, right? Paul had to dis- determine, Agabus was saying to him, this is, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. Agabus gives him a revelation, but there's no indication of what to do with that revelation. But Paul, in his spirit, looked at that and said, that's par for course. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. I'm good with that. I'm not, not only ready to have my hands bound, I'm ready to lay my life down, because this is where this is headed, and he knew it, Right? So, uh, again, what's, what's the Lord saying to us and what are we doing about it? Matthew 28, 10, uh, 28, 18 is where this comes from. Jesus came and spoke to them. This is disciples. This is before he launches them, right? Before he gives them all the power that they're going to need. And he says this, all authority, which is divine authorization, right? So think of it this way. I, I shared this with somebody the other day at the coffee house. Um, why is it that if a policeman comes, let's say you're doing something you ought not to be doing, well, not you guys, but maybe some people you know, <laughs> and, and they're doing some stuff that they ought not be doing, and the policeman shows up, and he's got a badge, and he's got a uniform, he's got a cop car, so more than likely, he's the real deal. Like, we don't know, you know, you don't know for sure, but he also has a gun, so maybe don't test it. I'm just saying, right? But he comes with the authority of the state, and the state says that he has the authority to, to, to do certain things, right? He can't, he's not authorized to do things the state hasn't approved, right? We get that. So, so he's got the authority in his badge, and he's got the power in his gun. But what he comes with first is authority. And he says, hey, I need you to, do, I need you to stop doing this. And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to. So now he has ignored the man's authority. So what comes next? Well, probably more authority, right? Because he's a good man, and he doesn't want to shoot this guy and kill him. But eventually, the guy loses his mind, pulls a gun, starts shooting at people. What happens next? Divine authority comes with divine, divine power, and the power comes out, and it's demonstrated. Right? See how that works? Now, think about this for a second. Using that same illustration, why is it that we come? Jesus said, I have, given, I have been given all divine authority, and I'm giving it to you. That's what a commission is. You are operating under my authority now, right? So he's given us divine authority so then we say, God, will you do this? And God's like, but I gave you a badge. Why are you at? It would be like the policeman that comes up on a situation like that, gets out, and he says, um, these guys look like trouble. So he gets back on his, on his uh, radio, and he calls headquarters, and he said, could you guys get a hold of the governor and ask him to come down here and handle this? Now, can the governor do that? Yeah, because he's going to come with the National Guard. So I promise, he's got, a, he's got authority and power. But the governor is going to get back on the phone and go, why did I give you a badge? Why did I give you? have a gun. Do you have a gun? Nope, it's in the car. Here's the thought. <laughs> go get your gun, right? <laughs> Here's another thought. Have you trained with the gun before now? Right? Because how you, I know this because I I shoot guns. How you train with a gun is how you're going to handle the gun when the moment of crisis comes. See the illustration? See where I'm going? So there's a story, uh, 
is New Yorkers. Um, they were trained, the policemen were trained, and they, the, the, the trainers would tell them when they would go shoot, they would fire their weapon, all the, all the rounds would go on the ground, and they would tell them, you need to pick up your police around. So they would stop shooting, and they would pick up all the rounds, and they'd put them away, and they'd put a new uh, magazine in there, and they'd shoot, and they'd go, you got to police around. So they'd stop shooting, and they'd get all the rounds, and they'd put them away, and, they would, and that was their training. So guess what happened when they ended up in a crisis? True story. They would ended up in a crisis, turns into a shootout. They start shooting. The gun empties, and without even thinking, they put their gun in their holster and start picking up their rounds in the middle of a gunfight. Why? Because that's how they trained. Can you see now the value? Jesus is saying, I, I, I've given you authority. Stop asking me to do stuff that I gave you the authority to do. Right? And it's not only that. He says, I'm not just going to give you authority. I'm also going to give you a gun. I'm going to give you power to demonstrate that your authority is valid. But if you don't know how to use it, or you don't even believe it exists, or you, know, you leave it in the car, or you, you never trained with it, what are you going to do in a crisis? And the answer is, your divine authority all of a sudden doesn't have any power to demonstrate itself, and so you start questioning your authority. And that's how the enemy wins in your life. So he goes on, all authority, divine authorization has been given to me in heaven and earth, Go therefore. So because of that, now you can go. I've authorized you to go and make disciples. Create, literally create disciples. Demonstrate the gospel through word and power and spirit, right? And that just means to make learners. Of all the nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and the Son. <laughs> right? Isn't it interesting? It's like Jesus is like, hey, don't forget. It's not, there's, you know, there's more to this story. And he goes on, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And then he makes this promise. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, how is that possible? This is where that um, problem comes where Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit is just the disembodied spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am with you, but here's how I'm with you. I'm God. Holy Spirit's God, your spirit is alive and connected, so, you, so I'm with you constantly. The Father's with you. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. See how it works? And the Trinity, I know, is challenging, but it's the way the Lord gives us uh, uh, the ability to understand it. Now, Galatians 2.20 says something really fascinating. This is Paul again. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Something happened in my past. He's talking about, I heard the gospel, I saw the gospel, it was demonstrated before me, I believed it, and because of that, baptism was a picture of being going down into the grave, dying the death, and then coming alive again in the same way that Jesus came out of the grave. That's a picture of, of baptism. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, right? And then he says this, it is no longer I who live. He's saying, I, I, I was called into a mission and, and now I'm submitted to something greater and someone greater than me. I don't lose my own identity. Listen, he goes, but Christ lives in me. He says, he's not saying some weird thing like, you know, I'm just disconnected from my own body. No, no, no. He's saying, it's not me who lives anymore. It's, and he says it this way, Christ lives in me and the life which I now live. In other words, the life I used to live before I met Jesus and was crucified and buried and resurrected again, 
the life that I used to live, that is no longer my life. I have a different life now that I'm a believer. So what does that look like? He says, the life which I now live in the flesh, out of this physical body, and the soul, the mind, will, and the emotions is connected now to the Spirit of Christ in me. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That this gospel is true, and because of that, it's delivered me from an old way of living. All the old things are gone. Behold, everything has become new. Either that's true or it's not, right? So here's the thing. Jesus' mission is our mission. This is where we get confused. We say, Lord, I want power, but for what? So go back to the policeman illustration. What happens if that policeman begins to use his authority and this demonstration of power for his own purposes? Are we for that or against it? <laughs> it's common sense, right? We, we, we hate that. That's corruption. That's a misuse or an abuse of power, and nobody likes that. So what did Jesus do? He said, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So one of the things Jesus has called us to, because this is what he did, was to seek and save the lost. Another one, 1 John 3.8, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. In other words, he came into the earth, he, he came into this realm. This is why he was manifested, so that he might destroy the works of the devil. If only we could know what those are. <laughs> right? God has gifted me with this sickness so that he might teach me and train me. Do you do that with your kids? Here, baby, here's some bubonic plague. It's going to teach you some valuable things about how horrible of a parent I am, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody believes that, but we keep, somebody keeps trying to get us to buy into this lie and to ascribe to God what is the work of the enemy. So what is it? John 10, 10 is so simple. Jesus said, here's what the enemy comes to do. Here's his job description. If it fits in here, this is what Jesus came to destroy. And because he's given you the same authority and he's given you power, if you want to walk in and train and learn how to use it, you can do the same thing that Jesus did. Not only can you, you should. You've been authorized. You've been commissioned. You've been sent to do this. Your life, you don't live your life any longer. The life you now live is in Christ. And he goes on. This is the thing that the devil does. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if it fits in there anywhere, it is not from God. Bow up against it, to put it in southern vernacular. Right? The Spirit will rise up inside of you when you sense injustice, right? When you sense sickness that ought not be there. Any of those things occur. Something, when you see someone else abusing power when they shouldn't, something rises. What do you think that something or that someone is that rises up inside of you? It's the Spirit of the living God. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and so should we. But it says it this way. The purpose of the Son of God was manifested. He demonstrated. It was in this realm that it could be seen. Heal the sick, Matthew 10, 7, 8. And as you go, this is again Jesus telling the disciples. This is actually even before they were endued with, with power from on high, but Jesus had delegated his power into them for this season. And he says, as you go, preach, proclaim. Don't debate. Preach and proclaim it in power. Not just in demonstration of words, but in a demonstration of power. Why? Because when you demonstrate the power, the words become true. 
People begin to believe the words because they see something powerful, right? So he says, as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If those are just words, then who cares? It's just another philosophy. It's just another religion. But if it's true and a king's domain has come, then something is going to begin to occur. Listen, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And because of that, heal the sick. Don't ask me to do it. Stop asking me to heal the sick. Isn't that powerful? Stop asking me to do the thing I have now authorized you and given you a gun to go do. Take it on. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. I thought lepers were sick people. Right? And there's true, but there's probably a reason why he's saying these things are different. It's not just heal the sick in general. It's, it's lepers, things that have been unclean. Make them clean again, right? The picture is that when, when lepers, the, the, the law said don't touch a leper because leprosy will jump on you. And the new covenant says touch a leper because what's in you will jump on them. Right? If you have a gun. <laughs> but if you don't have a gun, it's just words. He goes on. Raise the dead. Jesus, that's unfair. You raised the dead because you were the son of God. Then why did Peter do it? Why did Paul do it? Why have others done it? The thing, <laughs> practically speaking, what does it look like to raise a dead person? I mean, just if you were going to do it, right? First, you have to have a dead person. You think that goes without saying. But imagine the faith that it takes to go, um, I'm going to pray for this dead person, and we're going to see him get up. I prayed for some dead people. They didn't get up. <laughs> but I didn't ascribe that failure to God. I just simply said, okay, God, there's probably some things I don't see or understand, and I'm wanting to grow and learn and get better at this, right? So last thing he says is cast out demons. So there's, there's spiritual authority, the Bible says, in heavenly places that's bigger than this natural realm. I've prayed for people who were sick, who had physical ailments, and cast a demon out of them, and they were instantly healed. And some of you guys may have done that as well. What's fascinating about that is there was a demonic authority from somewhere that's not here in this realm that was causing a physical manifestation in someone's body. I've watched this with unforgiveness. The Bible says there's about unforgiveness. People say it this way. It's a poison. It's a way of poisoning yourself, not others, right? <laughs> and I've watched people's countenance change, literally their physical face change when they offered up forgiveness that they had been withholding for years. And I've watched them physically change. I've seen people physically get healed. What is stress? <laughs> right? If it's, I mean, because it's not physical, right? It's, some, it's from somewhere else. And that's in a soulish realm and it does so much damage. Imagine the demonic stuff that's happening. What if you were able to hear the voice of God and go, this is a demon, cast it out. So why is he? He's like, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, but also cast out demons. They're not the same thing. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are so powerful because they're different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There, it turns out that in submission to, the, to the, the, the will of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says he moves severally as he wills, in submission to that, he will tell you what's going on, and he will open up the gift that is necessary, the power, the right gun for the right job, right? That's the picture he's given. So how do I do it, right? If he says, as you go, as you've been called on mission, 
The expectation is you weren't sent on mission without divine authority and also power. So if you're going to walk in that way, how do I do it? So how can I, I'm closing with this, how can I normalize and personalize the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life? What does that look like? Romans 12, 2, this is the, a paraphrase, the New Living Translation. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. But it's helpful sometimes to uncover what the original language is saying. Here's an example. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Church, don't be like the world. That's what he's saying, right? And he goes on, but let God transform you into a new person. Uh, that, that is an action verb. Let doesn't mean just be passive. It means not only do you allow it, but you actively engage so that it can happen. Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. So your, your brain is really good for a lot of things. Um, it's not real good at keeping lists. You ever notice this? Like you, in your head, you're like your battery's dead in your, in your um, flashlight. And you're like, you know what? You make a mental note, which is not a thing at all. I don't know why we use that. You make a mental note when I'm at the grocery store and I'm standing in that aisle where there's three million batteries that I cannot possibly miss. Meanwhile, I'm looking at the candy bars, thinking about whether I want to do that and ruin my lunch. Batteries, it may as well be somebody blinking lights going, buy batteries, Dave. And my brain's like, doop the doop the doop the doop I get home, and my batteries are still dead in the flashlight, and I was standing right in front of it. Your brain is not good for some things. That's why you write things down. I'm going to make a list when I go to the grocery store because my brain's good for some things, and it's not good for others. One of the things your brain's good for is working out problems, not listing them, right? That's just a natural thing that you learn. But what we understand about this concept of transforming your mind is, where is it getting transformed from, and what is it getting transformed to? So a fleshly, carnal, living in the world, body and soul alone, those are not bad things, they're just incomplete. And if you come alive again in your spirit, what is a new, what does transform look like? And the answer is you are transformed into the image of his dear son. What did Jesus do how did, he how did he manifest? Why was he manifest? Did he seek and save the lost? Did he destroy the works of the devil? Did he heal the sick and cast out demons? What did Jesus do and ought you to do the same thing? And the answer is yes. So understanding your divine authority is knowing your identity in Christ. I am who God said I am. But, but I'm not the perfect represent representation of the state. No, you're not. You're not the perfect representation of, G of, of, of God. We have one perfect example. You're just a living example. But you're still an example. And Jesus, the call on us is to be like him, not just in our character and our nature, but also to be like him in our abilities, in our ability to raise the dead and heal the sick and demonstrate the power of God. Here's the thing. This takes time. Time spent equals relationship built. Pastor, our, my wife and I have grown apart. No, you haven't. <laughs> There's no such thing as you've grown apart. It's just a nice way of saying, put your big boy pants on and do what's necessary, right? I read a story recently about a guy, he was a, he was a, a baseball fanatic, and he was really, really good at his job. And his wife got sick, and he went to visit her, and he realized that he had made baseball his God, and that in, he was a believer, 
and he made baseball his idol. And not only had he pushed God away, he'd also pushed his family away. And he said, I didn't even know my wife, and she almost died. He said, you know what we did? We went to a counselor. He said, we learned how to have a relationship with one another. He said, really, that was more about me than it was her. But he goes, I had to do that. And he goes, you know what that took? That took time. You know what it took it away from? Baseball. (laughs) So whatever you need to do to grow and learn, take time in the mornings. Should you do it at lunch? Do you do it? I don't care. Read your Bible. There's a bunch of different ways. But are you taking the time that's necessary for God to be transforming your mind, right? So here's another way is read and study the Bible. The message of Christ, let the message of Christ dwell richly in you. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. What does the word of God do? It gives you a picture of what is the soul and what is your spirit, right? 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Reason is not enough. The difference between your mind, your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions, and your spirit is your spirit operates by revelation. Your mind operates by reason. It's not wrong. It's just limited, right? Why? Because the Spirit of God can give you a revelation that does not fit within your mind's reason. Think about healing the sick. Is that possible? And people would say, of course it's not possible, except it happens, (laughs) right? Here's another way is pray. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Fast and worship, Acts 13.2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, but all of this takes time. Cultivate silence and solitude. You see Jesus doing this often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You cannot hear God when every other voice is louder than him. Are you making time to allow the voice of God to be the loudest voice in your head? And lastly, cultivate the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The spiritual, firework, the spiritual gifts are not fireworks for our oohs and ahs. They are given as a means to extend the love and the grace and the authority and the power of God into other people's lives. And why is that important? Because if I'm doing this well, I may be your miracle. Right? If you're doing this well, I want you to have a really big gun. I didn't mean for this to turn into a Second Amendment sermon, but I want, you get the reference, I want you to have a really powerful gun. I would really like for you to know how to use it so that you don't shoot me in the head or shoot you in the foot. You know, you understand, because I've seen people try to move in the things of the Spirit who didn't know what they were doing, weren't trained, weren't transformed, weren't allowing God to transform them, and they were doing it in immaturity, and they were doing it to make it about them. The whole book of 1 Corinthians about, is about people doing that. But it doesn't mean throw away the gifts. It means learn how to walk in them effectively and with maturity. Learn how to use your weapon. Learn how to walk in the authority that's got, that God has given you. Why? Because you might be my miracle. I love what Pat Lawrence in their testimony said. Thank you to those of you who've been praying. Because what happened to their daughter in two days' time is nothing short of a miracle. Right? And doctors say this all the time. We've got 
people here who are doctors and nurses, part of the medical field, a lot of people in our church are like that, will tell you on a regular basis they see God do things in people's life. They hear people talk about how something about prayer, even though it's intangible and I don't even know God, but something about that does something and makes people better, even if they don't see a, a, a literally quote-unquote miracle. It, it makes a difference in people's lives, right? So what, what is it for? What is all this power for? You have a mission. What does it say on most police cars? To protect and serve, right? And use my gun to get donuts, <laughs> right? It needs to be on police cars, but it's not, <laughs> Because the expectation is that the power is for the mission. And that's what I want to leave you with. The, the role of the fivefold ministry, what I'm doing right now, is to equip you for the work of your ministry. So how do I do that? Not just help you grow in your character, but to help you grow in, in the power and the anointing and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the, the ways I've talked about is it's easy to do that. Why? And this is why. 2 Corinthians 5.18 all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then he did something. He gave you and I the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, or that, that's that word again, that commission. He has given us divine authority and power to take this message of reconciliation to people. And, and hear me. If you tell someone, God no longer holds your sins against you, you're going to get their attention. But if you demonstrate at the same time you say it with your mouth and you say it with words, that God is kind and he's good and he's for them and not against them, even though they've been sinners, now you have demonstrated the gospel message. When you heal somebody who doesn't know Jesus, when you cast out a demon from someone who doesn't know Jesus, all of a sudden, those are no longer words. Those words have now come with power and the Spirit of God. And I challenge us, if we can begin to do this, we can say, Lord, I want to grow in this. I, want to, I, don't, I don't want you to feel condemned and beat up. I want to equip you and say, here's how we do it, the practical side of it. There are ways. Get alone with God. Read and pray. And it's going to take time. It's not going to happen instantly. It's going to take time. We, I had this picture when we were praying of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I found it interesting. All the, the, the artistic renderings of that is, is the prophet. He's in this pristine robe. His beard is flowing as prophets' beards do, right? And he's, he's just beautiful. And then you read the passage, and he had just slaughtered a bull by himself. He dug a trench. He was dirty. He was sweaty. He was bloody. And then he prays this prayer, and the fire of God comes down, and the Bible says, licks up the water. It consumes the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the water. But by the time he got to that miracle, he was dirty and sweaty and bloody. And you don't see that in the renderings because they do that from their soul, not from the spirit. What does that look like for you? It takes time to be obedient to the Lord and what he's saying and doing to learn. Starts out simple. Hey, will you go to that person and pray for them? Will you, will you minister to them? I, I got a picture for you, but I can't. It's just a small. I have just one single word. Well, then go share that one word, right? 
Because in doing that, you discover, oh, this is actually God doing this. He's actually doing it through me, and he actually has given me this ministry of reconciliation to bring people into a place where they understand the goodness and the kindness and the love and the mercy and the compassion of God. But if we do it with just words, we're just competing with all the other religions and philosophies out there. But if you do it in power, Jesus comes in power. Spirit of God moves through you, and your words now are no longer just words. They're demonstration of the gospel, the good news that God no longer holds your sins against you. And if he has power over all these other things, he has power to forgive you of your sin. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Last week I closed too quickly because I'd gone long. And I'm not going to do that today. (laughs) So you're still going to beat the Baptists to lunch. It's going to be okay. And the Pentecostals. But what I want to do is I just want to pray and wait for a second. Last week, um, Jen came up. She said, I, I, had a, I had a tongue. And some of you guys are like, what in the whole world is that? Well, it, we'll explain it to you as we do <laughs> on-the-job training, as it were. But what I want to do is I want to take a minute before we, before we do anything and say, Lord, is there something you want to do, something you want to say to manifest yourself and demonstrate yourself among us? And again, my challenge to you is have a mature response to the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you, you don't get to a mature response to the Holy Spirit before probably you've had some immature responses. It's okay. We have moms and dads in, in, in the house. We'll help. We'll correct. We'll be kind. We'll be gentle. We'll recognize. If you stand up and say, the Lord's called me to be a prostitute, we're going to go, hold up. <laughs> I, I, I understand your passion and your, your zeal, but it's not biblical, so we're not going to do that, right? So we got it. Don't worry about it. But what I do want to do is just take a minute before we, before we leave and just say, Holy Spirit, would you show up? And move among us in a way that's demonstrable, like something that you can see. It's manifest. Is that okay? So let's t- take just a minute. We don't, we don't need music. We're okay. <laughs> so Heavenly Father, we just come. Um, we say thank you for the, the promise, Lord, the gift that you've sent. <sighs> thank you, Jesus, that you say you are the baptizer in the Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we just say, Lord, we love you. We want to learn more about you. We want to walk in our authority. We want to walk in your power. So, Lord, move. Move among us. We just want to wait and just give you some time, Lord, this morning. So let's just do that. Let's just take a minute or so before I close in prayer. Lord, we just worship you and we adore you. We honor you, Holy Spirit. Make room for you to move among your people. I hear two words, um, and they're very similar. Um, and it's anticipation and expectation. So I just want to pray. And, and if that's not you, if you're not sensing, if this is awkward to you, I get it. But for me, 
is this amazing sense of expectation that God's moving among us. And the more we give room and the more we give space, not just in our meetings like this, but in our times together, we pray for one another, we pray for somebody over lunch or whatever, that he's going to begin to move in ways we have never seen him move before in our lives. So Jesus, we just say thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, that's been a prayer that's been prayed a million times. Lord, our heart is to just really create space and room for you, to have your way and to do it your way. Lord, it may not look like my way, Lord, but it won't be outside of the promise in Scripture. It won't be outside of your character and your nature. Lord, it might be different or weird for me personally because I've never experienced it. It's like, Lord, I've never experienced that meal that I ate. But, Lord, I long to go back and have a meal like that again. Holy Spirit, we want meals like that. We want chef-prepared meals, Lord. We want the flavor and the taste to just literally blow our minds, Lord, and create an anticipation and an expectation for the next meal and the next meal and the next meal to be as good, if not better. So, Jesus, we just say yes. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we would love to minister to you. As we do our team, what we do is we always pray. But we always pray and say, Holy Spirit, talk to us about this person, what's going on in their life. And we trust the Lord for words and scriptures and pictures and those kind of things to use the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help you in all kinds of ways. So if that's you and you need prayer, we would love to pray for you this morning. If not, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Um, be back with us next Sunday. And don't forget our uh, community time together at the Mitchell's Pool today. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.